G'day everyone and welcome to another Bloody Movie Podcast. I'm Sean Coates, thanks so much for joining me today and we've got a very big and very special episode today. I've got my first ever international guest and you can probably tell that because the sound quality is not that great. Two, two guests all the way from the US of A. First one, he is one half of Cinemaholics Productions on YouTube, all the way from Colorado, Spencer Henderson. Howdy there, partner. Um, Big Mac, NFL, uh, Americana. Um, that's not how we talk, actually. Hi, guys. Marga. It's me, Spencer. Nice. Nice to be on, Sean. Thank you. No worries. And the other one, all the way from Washington, D.C., we have the founder, head writer, and editor for MovieBabbleReviews.com and technically my boss over at MovieBabble, <laughs> Nick Cush. What's going on, fellas? Um, I don't have a fun intro, so yeah, here I am. <laughs> all right. The um, reason why I got these guys on today is because these guys were recently at the Sundance Film Festival uh, a few weeks ago. And because... I'm super jealous of them and really wanted to see a lot of these films. I wanted to get these guys on the show to, uh, you know, talk about some of the films they saw there. So um, what, what did you guys think? How was the festival overall, guys? Oh, man. You well, can go was, ahead, Nick. This was my first time, so I need to geek out like a little bit. Um, I drank the Kool-Aid so hard. Uh, this was so cool for me. Um, first time in Utah, too. So that was a thing, I guess. Um, but yeah, it was a lot of fun. A lot of fun getting used to Main Street and all the all the hoopla that was going on. I ran into Tessa Thompson. I was in the same conversation as her for a hot second. So that was kind of a life moment. Um, but yeah, really, really cool. Ton of movies. I'm think, I think I'm still tired from it, but yeah, it was a blast. And I hope uh, Sundance <laughs> lets me back again. <laughs> hmm. And you got press credentials too, Nick, didn't you? Yes, sir. I don't know how I pulled that one off. Um, <laughs> hmm. uh, who who just... gave you that idea? Uh, I, I, I don't know. I think it was just my own idea. I have, I have no idea. So no one, no one could have thought of that idea except me. Um. It, well, it wasn't the fact that I used the movie Babel name to get accreditation at MIF, and you were like, "Wait, we can do that." And then no, not, you applied for Sundance and got in. Not at all. It was all. It was all my idea. <laughs> sure, uh, Spencer, you've been to Sundance quite a bit. Um, what did you think of this year compared to other other festivals, like uh, previous festivals? Yeah. Uh, not my first time at Sundance. It's probably like my fourth time. And um, yeah, like my hundredth time in Utah. So I'm a little jealous that Nick's only been there once and I've been there like a hundred times because it's the worst. But as far as Sundance goes, um, I thought that, you know, every year at Sundance, I feel like is a good year. You just have to watch the right movies. So if you somehow get a lineup that's a bunch of just shitty movies, then you're going to have a really bad time at Sundance. But if you just like kind of like look for ones that catch your eye or sound interesting, then you can um, do, then you can have a good time at Sundance. One thing I wanted to do this year that unfortunately I didn't was I was like, my goal for this year at Sundance is to watch as much of the midnight lineup as I can, which is kind of like the genre slash horror films of the festival, mm -hmm. because last year piercing was such a memorable experience. And I like watched zero midnight movies this year, so <laughs> my goals were not met, but I still had a great time, yeah. So without That's press it. credentials, by the way. And, well, just without without the um the free tickets you get from the press, um how much are the t are passes usually like fairly uh affordable or are they like very, very expensive? 
Well, when you're a broke ass bitch like me, um, you have to kind of try to find the cheaper routes. So there's this one pass I've gotten for the past several years. And then what I'll do is make a donation through the Sundance Institute. And then I can purchase individual tickets later. So my pass gets me into a theater. And then I try to avoid um, Park City like the plague because it's an absolute terror there. So I usually just hang out around Salt Lake. But most years I'll have to go to one or two showings at park city but i'll just get individual tickets for all the ones outside of the theater that i want to see which has a pretty good lineup so nice all right uh we should get into some of the movies that you guys saw one that uh you guys both saw i mean the good thing i wanted to get you both on is because you both saw there, there isn't a lot of crossover between the movies you guys saw but one that you both got to check out was a film that i haven't really heard of it's called uh britney runs a marathon yeah so yeah this that's movie- right this movie, I think, has a really good shot of becoming like a like a breakout indie hit. Um, Amazon Studios bought it, um, and they've been really they have got a really good track record in the last couple of years with a lot of their movies they've bought out of festivals. Um, it stars Jillian Bell, basically, who has basically she has a lot of uh, body issues. She's really she just struggles just kind of just being a, a human, which is <laughs> like she's really she feels pretty selfish and she's just kind of locked her own box her own box and. The, the idea of the story is she meets up with a few other people and they just kind of all just try to train for a marathon. And obviously the marathon means a little more than just finishing the race. But um, that's very watered down and Spencer can kind of go a little more into it. But it's I think it's really solid, really solid. And it's probably Jillian Bell's best performance that she's had in a lot of years. Uh, she's been relegated to a lot of the like the supporting goofy characters. But I think this is like the first time in a while she's gotten like the chance to like actually act and be a character and be a real human um but yeah i really really like this movie and i think it's it was probably one of the better movies i saw overall um i don't know what you thought of it though spencer yeah no i really actually agree with almost everything you said there um the opening scene of the movie i was like oh no just because i thought jillian bell was really really working it up to a point where i was like oh shit and then like literally right after that um the movie gets way way better my least favorite trope in um air quotes because you can't see me comedies is when they like make fun of melissa mccarthy for her weight you know like she falls over Uh, and everybody yeah yeah, Yeah. all the people humor yep yeah right and everybody like choking on the popcorn they're stuffing into their face like just cracks up and like spits everywhere and you're just like i hate humanity and um (laughs) the thing i like about this movie is that jillian bell um you never feel like they're they're um making humor at the expense of her character it's a very empowering movie and it's a it's a really crowd-pleasing movie i was actually getting a little bit teared up at the end of the movie which really really surprised me and Right now, believe it or not, I'm training for a marathon, and I was just like, I'm not gonna like this movie just because I thought it was gonna be some dumb comedy. And I wound up really, really liking this film. So I'm with you. I thought it was great. Yeah, it gets oh. a little, it gets a little like cliche at the end, maybe, but by that point, it's like it earns it, and it's really, really sweet. And there's just, it's one of those movies that just makes you feel really good, and it has a lot of interesting things to say about body positivity that that does. It's basically the good version of I Feel Pretty with Amy Schumer. It's just it's just it's just better in every single aspect and I yeah, I really really liked it and I hope that this movie does really well cuz it deserves it deserves it a lot. 
Fantastic. I'll, I look forward to it. Yeah. I, I, and was that one of the bigger films? Like, did that get a lot of um, attention at Sundance? Or was that kind of one that flew under the radar? Because I don't remember uh, hearing a whole lot it, about it. It sold for like 14.6 million. Oh, it was shit. one of okay. the biggest sales. Yeah. And honestly, when I watched it, I think it's going to be a, I think it's going to be a hit. Like, I'd be very surprised if this didn't wind up. It's, it's supposed to be coming out in August. And I feel like this movie will sell really, really well, at least yeah. in the United States. So, yeah. yeah. I think especially with Amazon's model, because I think they put them on Prime, like I think usually two months or two, two or three months after like the cinema release. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's yeah. like three months or something. Mm. I reckon this, sound, this sounds like the film that would be nice on a big screen, but like you don't necessarily need to watch it on a big screen. Like this would just be fine like at home or, yeah. you know, on a laptop yeah. or something. It just... Sounds like a lovely film. I look yeah, exactly. Exactly. All right, uh, who wants to go next with a film that they saw? Spencer, it's all you. What? All right. Um, I guess I'll start with um, Honey Boy, which is <laughs> uh, the new kind of like Shia LaBeouf wrote it, and he wrote it while he was in rehab. And it looks like the director, excuse me, I'm pulling up, was, I'm going to butcher this last name, but Alma harel or something like that uh she's a female director and like i said pinned by shia labeouf kind of semi-autobiographical about his relationship with his abusive father growing up as a child star um it has noah jupe as the younger kind of shia labeoufish character from a quiet place and as lucas hedges as like modern day shia labeouf and the crazy part is Shia LaBeouf plays his abusive father in yep, the film. I've heard of this one. Which, yep. yeah. Oh, geez. So, yeah. So, it's it's a very um, personal film, obviously. Mm-hmm. And I won't get personal and, like, pour my heart out on the podcast. But it really resonated with me for personal reasons. Um, I was raised by a single mom. But before that, I was not, is all I will say. And um, this movie, I think it's could completely cut out the Lucas Hedges in rehab section of the film. But everything between Noah Jupe and Shia LaBeouf is magnetic. Like Shia LaBeouf gives the best performance of his career. And um, I don't mean to sound like kind of like a pretentious asshole, but I honestly have always been rooting for Shia LaBeouf. I think he's awesome. Mm. I think that he's actually a really talented actor if he's given the right material and he rarely is yeah so um i would totally recommend this movie but like i said it's it's probably like a three and a half out of five for me just because that uh the subplot with him in rehab lucas hedges i thought that was unnecessary just two things about that um lucas hedges um he's very hit or miss with me i think with he's only really good with a good director i think like i don't i did not like him in manchester by the sea at all i think he's awful in um i think he's awful in three billboards i think he's good in ladybird and i think he's carries boy erased enough is he good in this movie no like i actually no, usually <laughs> yeah i would say no i actually usually like lucas hedges i am an unabashed fan of manchester by the sea um and i did love him in ladybird as well and most of the time you know i i wouldn't say he's great but he's just like solid. Like you see him and you're like, oh, he's in this movie. Of course he is. Cause he's in freaking every movie with the troubled team. Mm. And then you're kind of like, I think a 24 have him locked in a basement somewhere, actually, to be quite honest. Like <laughs> he's in a lot of their movies. <laughs> Who does? Sorry. 
A24, they have him locked in a basement somewhere and they just release him whenever they need him. Yeah, he's yeah. In, um, he's in mid-90s too, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, and that movie sucked. But he pretty yeah, much that's is another just film like... That's a, that mid-90s is another film that's a victim of crappy Australian distribution as well. Right, right. They're like, yeah, we got an older brother who's troubled. And they're like, Lucas Hedges. Yeah, and then they went go and like wrangle him or whatever. But yeah, um, I'd say that it's not a good Lucas Hedges performance to answer your question. Oh, okay. And to and my other thing I was gonna say is like I've kind of been rooting for Shia LaBeouf a little bit too. Like I, I, I'm one of the few people that really love the movie Fury, and I think Shia LaBeouf is great in that. And I think because I haven't seen this as well, um, the movie where he played John McEnroe that nobody saw, he is amazing as John McEnroe. Like completely him embodies him like to perfection. Yeah. Uh... I agree with you on Fury. I haven't seen the other film. I don't. What's it called? Sorry. Borg v. McEnroe. Oh, yeah. No, I have not seen that, but I, I will have to watch that because, like I said, I'm a fan of his. And I when he's on, he's really on. Like, Fury is a great example. Before this mm. film, I would say that was his best performance. But this, I could honestly see him getting some Oscar attention for it. Yeah, so. he went real method with Fury. I remember reading somewhere, like, he pulled out his own tooth during fil- filming or something <laughs> like that. Jesus. I did not hear that, but I believe it. <laughs> uh, Alright, uh, Nick, t- what's something you saw? Uh, you got to see the, uh, uh, what was it, the Apollo 11 documentary, was it? Yes. Or Apollo so, 13? So which, one, which Apollo mission was it? It's the Apollo 11 mission. Uh, Apollo okay. 11. Um, so I went to the, the one they premiere. got right. Yeah, the one they got right. The one that didn't screw up. <laughs> um, so... This movie, so essentially the, the the director talked after this movie and he kind of talked about the how they worked with like the National Archives here in DC to kind of like put all the pieces together for this movie. And they were, all, they were always going to do something for the 50th anniversary because 2019 is the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 mission. They were always going to do some type of movie or something like that. And then when they were, when the director was kind of, I forget his name offhand, but when they were working with the National Archives, they found, I think it was like, 11,000 hours of audio file audio files and like countless other hours of like never before seen footage that is just it's like mind-bogglingly good like and it kind of makes first man better in retrospect just because it's the how much they got right in first man just by the whole look of it all so basically apollo 11 is it's just it's basically just stripped together a bunch of different type of footages they show like within within Michigan control and they have like cameras stacked like right on the side of the lunar lander so you, you see you basically you see you literally see the lunar lander drop to the moon from 50,000 feet up in the in space it's just like incredible and i think Amazing. it's coming it's i think it's coming to uh the US in the spring but I think it's going to be one of those movies where one of the few documentaries, which is like a major, major IMAX uh, viewing, just because it's shot. I think it's it's like converted to like sixty five millimeter. I think, um, but it looks uh, it looks gorgeous. The entire thing. They really cleaned up all the footage, um, and it's just it's really nice. And they have like really fun interplay between Neil Armstrong and Buzz Aldrin, and um, it's it's really really well done it's one of my highlights of the documentary um it's yeah i can't say enough enough good things about it. it's really really cool oh fantastic and all, all of the film most of the films that you're going to talk about today nick uh you have reviews on movie babble for 
working on it i have so many reviews to write just because life got in the way and i think i still have like 11 reviews to write so Jeez. when i'm not working in, in the real world i'll be locking myself in my apartment working on all of them to get them done in time but yeah a lot of work to do <laughs> uh fantastic uh spencer what uh is another one that you saw that you really enjoyed so uh yeah almost every movie on this by the way are movies that i dug because i'd rather sit here and tell you about things to see rather than things that i just hated watching um and the next movie is one of my biggest highlights and that is blinded by the light um which is kind of like a coming of age film um and it follows a kid who is a pakistani immigrant in the uk in like the 1980s um, when Margaret Thatcher was um, the Prime Minister of the UK. And it's directed by Gurinder Shada, I think is the name. And it's the person who did Bend It Like Beckham, which I've never seen, but I've heard a lot of stuff about it. I've heard it's really, really great. And um, this is the definition of a feel-good Sundance movie. And what I mean by that is every year at Sundance, there's a Sing Street, there's a Hearts Beat Loud, there's a hump for the welder people. That's just like a wholly wholesome, um, uncynical, complete, like just you you go in and it just, if, if you don't like it, you're an asshole is what I'm trying to say. <laughs> and this is how I feel about this film is if you honestly cannot have your harsh, rough exterior melted by blinded by the light, then I'm not sure you have a heart. Um, this kid in the movie he listens to Bruce Springsteen and his mind just like explodes. Like he thinks it's the greatest thing ever. And it really affects his ambitions and his dreams to become a writer. And his dad's way more traditional conservative Pakistani. So he's trying to, you know, like talk him into getting a more um, promising type of job in his eyes. And it's just so wonderful. There are some scenes set to Bruce Springsteen songs. And I'm not the biggest Bruce Springsteen fan. Like, I mean, I was born and raised in the USA. So I've listened to multiple Bruce Springsteen songs. But this movie, after I got out of it, I drove back to the hotel and I was just blasting Bruce Springsteen. <laughs> and it was just like, yeah, this is like, this is what I'm talking about when it comes to the movies I want to see at Sundance or at least one a year. And I was expecting it, especially like I said, with each year, it seems like there's one of those feel good movies. So yeah, blinded by the light is excellent. I actually had no idea that you, that you said it was Gurinda Chada. Like I've liked a couple of her films as well. Uh, another one that she did was um, uh, Bride and Prejudice, which I'm not quite sure if you've seen that, which uh, is like a, an English like Bollywood film. And uh, it's so good. And you can... uh Go ahead, sorry. No, 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 I had nothing else to say. Go, go on. Well, you can definitely see um, that this filmmaker is very steeped in Bollywood. Like, I felt that mm. throughout this movie. Yeah. So, yeah, but um, strong, strong recommend. Everyone should watch it. It's probably the best. I know this is high praise, and that's why I'm going to say it. It's probably the best family film I've seen since Paddington 2. That's very Damn. high praise, because that movie's excellent. As were all the other films that you mentioned there, which I all loved. So if and I had no idea that Hunt for the World of People played at Sundance a few years ago, so that's awesome. Taika Waititi for the world. Yes, his new movie <laughs> looks awesome. Have you guys heard of that? I'm surprised that didn't play at Sundance actually. Have you heard of Jojo Rabbit? I have. I was praying it would show at Sundance. Uh, yeah, me too. Did, so. 
Uh, oh well, hopefully Miff gets it. Uh, Nick, what what what's another highlight from the festival for you? So I want to turn us because we just had a nice talk about something that was really nice and kind, and I want to move towards Share, which is one of the more cynical movies I've seen in a really long time, <laughs> but it's really really good. I strongly recommend this movie. So it's an A twenty four film. Uh, directed by first-time director Pippa Bianco, I think her name is. Um, where I want to see what she makes from now on because she put a really like solid stamp on this movie. But basically, what it is is a uh, a girl. You don't you don't see the aftermath later, but she goes to a party and then she the movie starts with her waking up on her front lawn. She just got like she drank way too much and she just woke up. She has no idea what happened, so she goes to bed and doesn't really think much of it. And then the next day at school, like phones start blowing up and things like that and it seemed and it looks like one a couple of the guys uh when she was just when she was just out of it took advantage of her possibly took advantage of her and there was a video spreading around um and all this this entire movie uh is shot it's it feels like almost like a zodiac or something like that where it's really really serious and just really like depressing and it feels like a nightmare for the lead character um, I can't remember her name offhand, but she's really, really good in this movie. And essentially what the thing is, like, the parents go to the police with it and all that, but it's mostly just about like the victim's experience and kind of how like this type of trauma can can almost just ruin a person. And it's like the victim most of the time just kind of wants this like situation to go away and just so they can move on with their life. Um, the last shot in this movie, I think, is what turned a lot of people off to it, but I think it's really, really fascinating. It's a really interesting choice, and it's something that's burned into my mind uh, ever since I saw the movie. So, I think HBO actually bought this movie from A twenty four, so it'll be premiering sometime on HBO later this year. But it's called Share S H A R E. It's really, really good, and I can't recommend it enough. Awesome. Uh, I think the name of that actress is Brienne Barreto. I think is yeah. And I'm so, just having a look at the cast list here, and Charlie Plummer is also in this movie too, from Lean on Pete and All the Money in the World. Yeah, so he plays the. Um, there's like I don't I don't want to I don't want to say it's like a boys club, but there's like a group of guys who's like who's involved with this video spreading, and he's kind of like the good guy who just kind of wants to help out Ryan Barreto and just kind of like be there for her. like he asks her multiple times like Hey, can I drive you home or do you like you want to like leave or things like that? But um, his the one thing I will say is character is a little goofy looking. The, the whatever they do with his hair is just he looks like a cartoon character, and it takes a little bit. Like he's he's an earnest enough character afterwards where you can forgive him, but when you first look at him, you're like, oh, that's that's weird. That was a choice <laughs> that I don't like. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, this movie is really good, and it's very dark and depressing, and it's just it kind of just works as like a nightmare, which I found really interesting. It doesn't really have like a three act structure or anything like that. So yeah, really really cool. Okay, so you said HBO bought it from A24, so it'll be playing on HBO sometime in maybe like the summer or the spring or something like that, you reckon? Yeah, I figure that. They did the same thing with The Tale uh, last year, which oh, yeah. came at Sundance, um, which I really liked. I don't know what you guys think about that, but it seems like they, they're they doing the same type of thing. It's same similar story in a sense from the, theme, the themes it's uh, pulling from, but yeah. Really good. I hope I hope HBO like really just advertises the shit out of it because it's really really good. Oh, fantastic, Spencer, you're up. Yeah, so I'm gonna try to do a segue. Um, you mentioned that Share was originally owned by A24, and one of their biggest, um, I guess 
the movies that I think is going to really do well that A24 has that I got to see at um, Sundance. And it's probably, it's not the best movie I saw there, but it's probably my favorite is The Farewell, which is the um, new film directed by Lulu Wang and written by Lulu Wang. And it's based off of a real experience that happened with her. Um, It stars Aquafina of Crazy Rich Asians fame. And it's the story in the Chinese culture, they um, do not inform individuals who are diagnosed with cancer, in some cases, that they are diagnosed with cancer. So she's uh, this grandma of Aquafina's character is diagnosed with stage four lung cancer. And the family um, decides that they aren't going to tell her. And they decide to stage a wedding as a family event in order as a disguise to for everyone to get to say goodbye to their grandma essentially and um it's a very funny movie and it brings up lots of very interesting um arguments about what they're doing that's what i liked about the movie is i heard the plot and i was like are they going to morally reckon with this decision that they're making does a person have a right to know if they're going to die and it really um creates for an interesting moral dilemma within you when you're watching this part of the movie and it has it in the same way that crazy rich asians did it has to do a lot with the experience of when a family immigrates to another country and the family that they leave behind the traditions that they're upholding whereas these people are in a new culture and they're learning new things and you know um, starting to practice new traditions and um i love this movie i think it's beautiful I thought it was um, hilarious and heartbreaking in scenes. And um, I can see this one being a huge hit and making a um, awards run in this next award season. Yeah, I've heard there's already a little bit of Oscar buzz for Aquafina in this film. She's amazing. Like, uh, I I liked her in Crazy Rich Asians. I thought she was mm. funny. And she has a lot of She's energy. She's the best part of um, Ocean's 8 as well, I thought. I, I'm not going to lie, totally. I, I know I watched Ocean's 8. I don't remember anything about that film. But I know I watched it. I remember watching it and be like, hey, that was pretty good. But I don't remember a thing that happens in that movie. So you just blew my mind saying Aquafina was in it. But um, yeah, uh, she's great in the movie. I could totally see her getting Oscar buzz. She's way more toned down in this than she is in something like Crazy Rich Asians. But I actually thought it really worked and she brought a lot of depth to the performance. Oh, it sounds very good. Yeah, it's great. Nick, what's next for you? What else did you enjoy at the Sundance <coughs> Festival? So I guess I'm going to take another depressing turn here. Um, <laughs> I guess I just saw. I guess you I just saw it. nothing but depressing movies here at Sundance. But um, I saw the uh, the documentary One Child Nation, which is all about the one child policy in China. Um, so basically, it's this uh, this woman. I forget her name offhand, but she. Uh, basically she was a product of the one child policy in China, which was abolished, I think in like 2015 or something like that. Now it's the two child policy. Um, but so it's kind of, it's her and her child and she's going back to where she grew up and she just, she's interviewing everyone around there who basically took part in the policy. And we kind of get a discussion of like kind of a really, a really good, like, like ethical dilemma of some people still really support it and figured and thought that the one child policy was really important for China because it 
helped save resources and things like that. And then there's also the obvious uh, issues on the other side where people are like, no, this was terrible. Um, and the movie, the movie kind of sways towards like saying how terrible the one child policy was. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that goes into it. I don't want to ruin the whole documentary for everybody because it's really, really good. Um, but it, it's very, it's a very graphic detailing of kind of just how this ruined a lot of lives and how like aborted babies were just like tossed into like garbages and like, and it's wow. it's really it's really tough and it's very graphic and it shows a lot of things but it is really really good um and it just yeah it shows all the like there's some people who were, were in charge of tracking down pregnant women or like destroying homes <clears throat> of people that they knew were going to have a second child it is it is rough <laughs> it is not for the it is not for the faint of heart it made me sad <laughs> really really sad um yeah it's really tough but i think I don't know when it's supposed to come out, but it is really, really good. Do you know who's got a distribution to that one? Uh, did anyone buy it? I have. I can't. I'm. It's a. I can't. It's definitely not CNN, but it's some. I think it's some important news outlet that uh, has the rights to it. Um, I haven't been keeping up on it, honestly. I, I don't really know, but it's someone should buy it if it hasn't been bought already because it's really good. Uh. Uh, just from the sounds of it, um, it sounds like that you saw a lot more documentaries than uh, than Spencer did. Did you think that this year, from what you saw, the what was stronger, the features or the documentaries, from what you saw at the festival? So I kind of like I was. So I went to the the day one press event, and they just talked about their slate and things like that. And I really appreciate how like it was something like they had like 120 films, 110, 120, and exactly half of them were documentaries. Oh, nice. So they really. Yeah, so they really like strive to bring documentaries in and of all different kinds. I mean, I saw this one that was literally about water crashing for ninety minutes, so that was a that was a thing <laughs> that I saw. Um, but yeah, I think they're all really really strong. I, I mean, some of them, I mean, a lot of them obviously have their viewpoint going into them and want to like share that really strongly, and that's something that documentaries shouldn't always do. But um, it's I think it's really really I think I really appreciate how they just. They go in and show as many documentaries as possible because they want to yeah. spread the love <coughs> down as well as the features. So, excellent. Uh, should we get into the night? Should we finish off with the Nightingale, or should we get into that now? Like, should we finish off with one that you both saw and just keep talking about a few others? Yeah, we can do that. That's fine. All right. So, Spencer, what what's it, what was another highlight for you then? Um. So, uh, wait. Are we? Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, we'll we'll do the Nightingale about... last. We'll do it. We'll last. do it last yeah okay okay all right um the so i have two more that i want to talk about outside of the last one but um one is big time adolescence which is um a coming of age film and it's i believe if i'm not mistaken i heard it was the first starring vehicle for um pete davidson and uh it's directed by jason orley and um i actually really dug this movie and it started off with me thinking i'm gonna hate this movie so it really pulled a 180 on me and i like that but um it starts off as a pretty standard coming of age film about you know a younger kid who kind of idolizes this older um post high school 23 year old who it kind of doesn't have his life together he's, he's kind of the definition of a burnout and he's played by pete davidson um, and one thing I liked about this movie is that 
you know, in movies like Project X and Superbad, they portray these crazy, insane parties at high school, but they never um, show really... Well, Superbad kind of does, but most of the time they don't show what happens the morning after or the, mm. you know, coming months yeah, the after. the consequences or anything. Yeah, yeah, exactly. The consequences of these situations. And the most refreshing thing I have to say about Big Time Adolescence is that it really is a film that is focused on those consequences. And it's really rooted in character as well with that. Um, and pete davidson's performance is pretty great i think because he manages to make you not decide if you should laugh or feel like deeply depressed for where this guy's life is at and i really dug that about him he got really vulnerable in the movie in points in a way that was really good and the ending of this movie just knocked me flat i was like it's so unsentimental and great that i was i, I really turned around and ended up loving this movie and thinking it felt very authentic and true when it felt like it could have just been another oh we're just a bunch of bros trying to get laid at school like and yeah i i actually really wound up dug in this film uh i've just had a look at the cast list and it said and this is one part that may detract me from seeing this film but second build in this is machine gun kelly and is he at least bearable in this film because from what i've seen in films <laughs> i can't stand him and i've yeah. never listened to his music either and i don't intend to <laughs> Yeah, no, I honestly thought the entire cast was pretty solid to great in this movie. Um, uh, the, I mean, I mean it's, I think not everyone will feel the same way that I did about this, but I think just coming-of-age films are a dime a dozen. I honestly, Machine Gun Kelly is a smaller part of the film. But oh, okay. if, you can, if you can just, uh, or you really have to bring something to new to the table for me to really yeah. think a coming-of-age film resonates and i don't think this is like a ladybird or something like that but it's a really solid coming-of-age movie oh nice again and again like i've said with most of these films i look forward to it there we go <laughs> nick another one uh, one so i want to talk about the death of dick long um <laughs> great title i I saw this. I saw this movie just because of the title. I saw when I saw the the press list come out, and I was like, "That's a movie I need to see. Uh, that sounds awesome." And then I didn't realize till afterwards that it was directed by Daniel Shiner, uh, um, who was one of the guys behind Swiss Army Man. Um, oh, and oh one kind of the Daniels. Oh, okay, awesome. So oh, wait, it, I I heard about I heard about this movie, but I have no idea what it's about. Sorry, I'm super okay. pumped for this. If it's by the okay. guys who did Swiss Army Man. Great so movie. this so it's a different uh, it's a different screenwriter he didn't write this movie this time but it still has a lot of his like signature just like well i guess they're not signature because he made one movie but like his just kind of feel and gross out and just like oddities throughout the entire movie so basically it's about these three um hillbillies in alabama who they like they have a band it's called uh pink freud which i thought was really really funny um <laughs> But they were so terrible. And after that, they're like, fuck it. Like, let's just go out and, like, just start drinking and be ridiculous. Um, they just start getting really weird. And it cuts to the next uh, the next morning, or I guess uh, later that um, early morning. And the two of them are dragging uh, Dick Long to the hospital because they basically killed him. And they just leave him outside and run away. And so the whole thing is just a, is just a dark comedy about them trying to avoid being caught. And it's they just try to get out of trouble and deal with like really dumb cops and everyone plays it straight 
So it's one of those situ- it's one of those comedies where the situation just keeps getting funnier and funnier, but all the characters <laughs> co- like just are just completely serious the entire time. And these characters also listen to Creed and Nickelback unironically throughout the movie. Oh. Um, I forget what the one actor's name is. Oh, Andre Highland, I think his name is. He plays the basically the lead character's sidekick. He is every every basically everything he says is like one of the funniest things I've heard because he's just so deadpan, and he ends saying he's like, oh, you know what I'm saying, and I can't even do it, but it's oh, it's so so funny. And this movie floored me at sometimes, um, and just like Swiss Army Man, it has, um, it has one thing that happens in it where you're either on board or off board completely. Um, it's really shocking, and I thought it was hilarious. Um, it's. It was really, really funny. Um, and you could say, based on the shocking thing that happens in it, that it turns into a fantasy almost. Um, but yeah, it's. I, I would say it's pretty... It's just a, just a bizarre comedy. Uh, it's so, so funny. Are there more or less farts in this film than Swiss Army Man? Ooh. No, nah, I'm just kidding. There's definitely, there's definitely less farts. <laughs> but there is more Nickelback... Um, and um, is that dead off though? <laughs> yeah, that's that's the equivalent of farts in my opinion. That's musical farts. It's fart rock. Nickelback is fart rock. <laughs> yeah, it's so great. I love it. I love this movie. It's I think it's I don't I can't I don't know if it's good or not. I need to watch another guy, but I just thought it was hilarious and I laughed the entire time because it was ridiculously stupid and I loved it. <laughs> yeah. Do you ever get the feeling like at some of these festivals, like you see them, but then you have no idea when you're going to go see, like when you will get a chance to see them again? So you might, you're like, should I go see it again at this festival or should I just see something else and something completely new? Because I've almost done that at festivals before. Like yeah, I've seen I, films that I loved. I have no idea, honestly. It's also just tough because you go into these Sundance movies literally knowing nothing. Like, because for all the other movies, you just yeah. see theaters. Like, you hear, like, all the other, like, critics or whatever. You maybe see around Tony yeah. Schooler, but you literally just know nothing. You so, see, like, one or two stills from the film and that's it. Yeah, it's... So, this movie, yeah, I loved that I knew nothing about this movie because it was just ridiculous and I loved every second of it. So, I would just know, go into it knowing it's the guy who did Swiss Army Man and that should be enough to like get you in the theater and get you going and, and for the ridiculousness. Uh, it sounds amazing. I can't wait. And Spencer, the last one that you wanted to mention before The Nightingale, what was that one? Yeah, real quick before I say that. Um, but I think one of the biggest disappointments of this year that I got really jealous of him just talking about the death of Dick Long is last year, and it seems like every year, there's some super weird movie that I see that it's like, oh, hell yeah, this is why I come to Sundance. And, you know, it was like last year was Sorry to Bother You, where um, at the end of the movie, a, you know, spoilers for Sorry to Bother You, but a race of horse people with like giant penises <laughs> are going to like try to upri- throw an uprising to overthrow a, uh, a giant corporation. And I was like, this has to be the peak of cinema. Like, will movies ever get better than this? Like the golden age of Hollywood, all that has all been building up to this moment in movies. And I remember sitting in the theater at Sundance, just thinking, it, it, like, I feel like this is what we've been moving towards as a human like race up till now. So, and I did not have that feeling at any movie this year, unfortunately. Just so, two things. Two things about sorry to bother you. What I loved in that bit is that like even Army Hammer uses "you'll have a horse cock" as like a selling point for being turned into a horse but also the 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 equisapiens i think they're called like 
I'm surprised because, Indeed. again, Sorry to Bother You was another victim of terrible Australian distribution. We didn't get that until like late November here in Australia. I knew nothing. I heard nothing about the horse people. So I was genuinely shocked when I saw that. And I'm like, how did film Twitter or like just the internet in general not spoil <laughs> the crap out of this already? I'll tell you why. At the Q&A for the film, Boots Riley was like, oh, yeah. At the end of it, he's like, oh, yeah. And don't tell anyone about the Equisapiens, please. <laughs> So we all just kept a complete secret. We were just like, oh shit. And I did not, yeah, yeah, I did not want to ruin that for anybody, but (laughs) we got a little sidetracked. I will get to my last film and we got to get a little more somber in the house because this one's a depressing one, a sad one. It's um, called To The Stars. And um, this was one that I didn't really have on my radar at Sundance, Um, but it's a another coming of age film but the interesting thing about this film is that it takes place in um the 1960s in like rural oklahoma which just in case you're not very familiar with the geography of uh of the united states of america it's essentially the butthole of america like nobody wants to be in (laughs) oklahoma and if you're in oklahoma the only thing you're thinking the entire time is what the hell did i do to get myself in this situation (laughs) and how can i get out of this as fast as i can and if you implement that and then consider it being the 1960s then you're just like this is a horror film and this can turn into get out super fast for anybody who's not a white dude and um it examines these two girls uh in their coming of age teenagers and uh it's shot in black or it's not shot in black and white it was converted into black and white and it is a film that is about these girls trying to find out who they are um you figure out things about the characters throughout the film that are revelations that i won't spoil obviously but um i love this movie i thought it was incredible and it feels like a spiritual sequel to the last picture show which is one of my favorite films it's a peter bogdanovich 1970s film and this movie just really really floored me on an emotional level and somewhat like big time adolescence the thing i admired so much about this film was how unsentimental it is like it is very very unsentimental in the way that it handles these relationships but not in a way that feels like it's trying to be edgy it it feels very earned and it feels like it is authentic and true and um i just felt like each character in the film even the smallest side characters felt like fully fleshed living breathing humans and this is the type of film that like if i was like a high school english teacher i feel like i would show this to my students just be like okay here's what america was like for some people back in the 1960s when like all sorts of horrible shit was going on in this country so um not that there isn't still that stuff today but i just like i i really love this film i would recommend it to anybody i hope it um gets I, I haven't really been paying attention to the distribution with this one, but I'm definitely going to be keeping an eye out for it when it comes out and trying to get as many people as I can to see this. So you mentioned, like, is it one of those films that kind of, like, uses the past to show, like, uses the problems and the issues from the past to show, like, what how these issues are still present in, like, contemporary modern-day society? Is it, like, kind of one of those films? Um, the... Okay, so... I'm trying to think of how to say this. Um, yeah, I, I would say that it, one of my favorite movies is Brokeback Mountain. And Brokeback Mountain is a movie that is about a time and a place where the only way two people could, um, 
like be who they truly were was by repressing that within themselves anytime they weren't at a completely secluded location. And I would liken this movie with um, themes such as repression and all that to Brokeback Mountain in the way that, yes, it's dealing with issues that are still kind of on the forefront of people's minds today, but it does so in a way where it's a time where, you know, it, within the confines of the story, nothing's going to be okay for these characters. And you, you feel this sense of kind of like this doom, this impending doom, but in like a good way. I, I like being depressed. I don't know about other people. Like when I watch a movie, I'm just like, all right, dude, just mess me up by the end of this. I want therapy after this. And uh, yeah, this movie, I wouldn't say it. I, I'm, I'm not signing myself up for therapy after I get out of it, but I was pretty sad when this movie ended. So yeah, yeah. great. I'm not usually like that at film festivals though. Like I like to see, you know, the kind of light fluffy films like that. Sometimes that can just get a bit too much and you feel like you need to, you know, it's like you, you need to punish yourself after watching some good movies. Like life isn't like this. You need to, like I was going to go see a movie at NIF last year. I'm not quite sure if you heard of it. It's called An Elephant Sitting Still. It was a it was a Chinese film that's about four hours long and it's kind of it was like uncompleted but like his the friend of the director finished the film because the uh, filmmaker actually committed suicide not long uh, not long after like shooting wrapped on the film so and apparently it's like an incredible film and I'm annoyed that I missed it but I'm just like it would just be it's too, it would be too sad it would really just be too sad and I can't deal with that. Well, the good news, Sean, is that, uh, hey, Nick, you didn't have anything else you want to talk about, right? Uh, I mean, we, we, we can jump right into it. I don't care. <laughs> okay, I was going to say, yeah. we're ending on a super lighthearted note, and it's a movie called The Nightingale. It's super yeah, lighthearted. Jennifer Kent's new film. And just before you get into this, um, I'm really annoyed that, um, because I'm, I'm happy that you guys got to see it at Sundance, but because this played at Sundance, this was originally scheduled for a January 24th uh, nationwide cinema release. And um, because that was the same time when uh, Sweet Country came out in uh, in Australia. And that, I mean, it kind of underperformed at the box office. So that's maybe why they pulled it. But the main reason was because the main reason they pulled it is because it was announced to be playing at Sundance. And they're like, well, we can't have co-current like releases. So we're going to push this back till like May or June or I don't even think, I think it's just still released TBC now, but I'm just really annoyed that. I was going to get to see this film and now I can't until like ages away. I almost went all the way to Adelaide in October last year to the Adelaide Film Festival to see the Australian premiere of it and decided not to go at the very last second. But I know you guys have differing opinions on it, so I'm interested to we see <laughs> what you got, like if I should have gone or if I shouldn't have. Spencer, you can go ahead. Go. Oh, okay. All right. I guess I'll start. Um, yeah. So um, a little quick story time from Spencer before uh, I start this, uh, my thoughts of the movie. So I'm going into the screening of the movie, minding my own business, and I walk up and I like show my ticket and then um, they're like, can we see your ID? And I'm like, oh yeah, okay. So I just assumed what they were doing was uh, they were just checking to see if like I was the person who bought the ticket because I've never had this happen at Sundance Film Festival. And so I show them my ID and I go and I get in line. I'm like minding my own business. And then um, a father, probably in his 50s, and a son, probably aged 16, come walking down the stairs. And they're like, can we see your guys' IDs? And the dad's just like, oh, yeah, he's with me. He's my son. They're like, we can't let anyone into this screening who's under 18. 
And I kind of looked over because the laws in the United States are that um, the highest rating a movie can receive is an NC-17, right? Like Mm. it gets theatrical distribution. So you have to be 17, but 18, I was like, are we abiding like by Australian rules? I was a little confused, but I was like, maybe this movie just... Uh, the Australia's highest rating is R18 plus. So and okay. our equi- our equivalent to an R rating is MA15. Oh, so the this is like the Australian NC17. I would say so, yeah. Probably yeah. probably. Okay, yeah, but so uh I was like what am I about to watch? That is the first thing <laughs> that I thought. And um this is like I've thought a lot about this movie since I saw it. Um, this is one of the best films I've ever sat through that I'm not sure if I could ever sit through again because it is so relentlessly bleak and brutal. And what I mean by that is there is a scene in the first 30 minutes of The Nightingale that is the most abhorrently disturbing, brutal, terrifying, like it, it, it goes to like such brutal lengths that i was like i do not know if i can forgive this movie for what it just put me through and i kind of sat there like thinking i felt numb like the way i was talking about with two of the stars like therapy i was literally like i never text in films but i was almost pulling out to sign up for like any therapy that i could get within the next 24 hours and um by the end of the film i really thought that um it had started to turn around. Once I started to kind of figure out the themes that this movie was trying to get across, once I uh, figured out that it's more a statement of the violence of history and the people who had to grapple with that and reckon with that violence, um, it turned out to be a movie that I loved so much. Um, I think Jennifer Kent is an absolute talent of a filmmaker. I will follow her anywhere, especially after following her through this film and how brutal it was. And when she got up and she gave her Q&A, that really further cemented the movie to be something, the way it's shot in lots of these really scenes of horrific brutality. Um, I think it's done so in a way that makes it more disturbing because it leaves a lot to the imagination in much the same way the Babadook did. But um, I thought the movie was fantastic. Performance is great. Direction, great. I loved it. So just uh, before Nick gets into it, uh, just this is like a, it's a revenge western of sorts from what I've heard. Yeah, I would classify it as a revisionist western. But what were you going to say right there? Oh, I was just like, oh, I was just going to say, I thought it was like a revenge wet Western with like, I think it's like set in like 1820s Tasmania, I think, which if you guys don't know, it's that tiny little island you see at the bottom of Australia. That's Tasmania there. Yeah, correct. Um, And sorry, there's one thing that I forgot to bring up. Um, I'm going to have to look up his name. There is a supporting performance in this movie. Um, the aboriginal tracker that she hires to hunt down somebody through uh, the Tasmanian wilderness. Uh, um, is it Baikali Ganamba? Yeah, yeah. Dude, like, this guy gives... Uh, so Sean recommended Sweet Country to me, and the lead performance in that movie is outstanding. Another aboriginal person. This guy kills this movie. He totally owns the film. I thought he gave one of the best performances I've seen in a really, really long time. Loved him. All right, Nick, your <laughs> opposing <laughs> thoughts. Um, you, I heard you weren't that big of a fan of this film. Yeah, so I. it's weird because I agree with what, 
with a lot of what Spencer said. I think I will follow Jennifer Kent for like forever because I think just by the way this movie is shot, she is already such a master. And I think The Babadook is probably one of my favorite horror films, if not like like maybe like a top five or something like that. Um, and I will say that the the violence in this movie is so shocking, and I think it's really really well done. Like what Spencer mentioned in the first act, I was like so worked up. I was getting like really upset and the movie was, it was working so effectively. Like it's really brutal and it holds and it just, it pulls no punches and it's really tough. Um, but then, so this movie is a revenge movie. So after the inciting incident happens, I felt like it just kind of fell into a very typical re- revenge tale that we normally get. Uh, for me, it just kind of devolved into like a walk in the woods almost um, I thought all the performances were really, really good. Um, I felt like the uh, the original uh, man that we I can't I can't even try to say his name. I felt like his. I want to think about this movie a little more because I felt like his character kind of bordered on being that like that magical black man character trope that we sometimes see, which I think I thought was a little tough because he kind. Of, from my perspective, I might be reading this totally differently, but he just kind of does a lot of the work in this case. Uh, for the main character in a, in a way that I didn't feel like the main character's arc was very satisfying in the end. So by that point, I was like, well, what was that? Did I really need to sit through all of the shocking, um, just violence and all that? But um, I'm probably going to be in the minority on this movie. Uh, this movie is probably going to get like a, like applauded by like a lot of other people. Um, Jennifer Kent, I still think, is really, really talented. I just had a few issues with the script is all that I just didn't really get into it. I think it's really solid. I mean, I give like a two and a half out of five. Like, I don't hate the movie. I think there's so many great things in it. Um, I finally understand why Sam Claflin is still in Hollywood because he's amazing <laughs> in this movie. He's This is the first time, like, I've actually, like, saw him in a movie. I'm like, wow, you're actually an actor who does things other than just, like, try to look pretty. Um, and he's really, really good. And the lead actress, I think her name's, like, Aisling Francois or whatever. Her name's really tough to say, but yeah. she's really, really good in this movie as well. Um, I just didn't buy the the themes that Spencer was talking about earlier, and that might just be me. I don't know. So, well, I think it has got quite a divisive reception because um, one of my friends, like, one of the guys, one of the guys I follow on Twitter, he saw it at the Adelaide Film Fest. It was like <clears> one of his most anticipated films of that festival, and ended up being one of his least favorites. He really didn't think it was very good at all. Um, on just on IMDb, it says from I mean it's only from six uh, about three hundred votes. It's only six point one out of ten on IMDb, but it's got a meta score of seventy eight at the moment. Uh, I was just gonna say yeah, it's definitely gonna be a movie that's divisive just from how shocking it is because um, yeah. it it's so like it's so vivid and it shows everything and it's so tough that um, like there was some there's gonna be some people that just reject it because of like the first like. Even before the shocking scene that we're discussing, there's something that happens before that that's really tough as well, and people are just going to be like, "No, I'm done," and just leave the theater. Definitely. Um, oh. So, were there any walkouts yeah. at any of your screenings because of these? Yeah, yeah, there were like yeah. six yeah, walkouts in my screening of this film, um, and yeah, this is a movie that makes like, <laughs> I mean, this movie. Some people like, some people don't like it, but. It makes The Revenant look like a walk in the park. Like, you're like, he had it pretty easy <laughs> at the end of the movie. You're like, yeah, so what, true. what a what a privileged dude at the end of The Revenant. Yeah. Oh, but um, yeah, I mean, I can totally actually see where Nick is coming from. And at film festivals, every now and then, 
I had this with like First Reformed and um, a couple other movies I've seen at film festivals. When the movie ends, immediately in the air, you just feel like a crazy divide. Like you're like, some people love this movie and others freaking hated this movie. And that's exactly how I felt after watching The Night Goes. I was like, there are a ton of people here who are like, what the hell did this lady just put me through? Mm -hmm. And I just think that she like... I totally feel like I liked what she was going for and your mileage may vary with that, but I think she's talking about some very important like history and how we treated one another back in those times. Mm. So, and it also screened on, um, at Sundance, um, uh, this may have been completely coincidental or it may have been on the part of the programmers, but it actually, uh, screened on Australia day. So, and which <laughs> that's a day, which, air quotes celebrates the uh, genocide of the our nation's first people and i don't i'm starting to think that that wasn't that was completely intentional because that's a ver- australia day is now a very contentious issue here and there's a whole lot of things like change the nation we need to change the date and all this stuff it's i, I think that was a very deliberate choice from the uh, programmers there yeah i definitely think so as well and the movie does reckon a lot with um, the genocide of Aboriginal people, like throughout the film, you you kind of start to get the the sense that that's a lot of what she's trying to talk about with it. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, this movie, this movie. Just one last thing is, yep. um, it's I think no matter what, like your reaction to it, it's going to be really interesting. Like no matter what you, because this movie is just, it's it's mm-hmm. taking such a big swing that it's like no one's going to come out of it saying that this was boring or like they don't have much of an opinion. Like you were going to have a strong opinion no matter what you have. I think it's and those, those kind of movies I think are really interesting to talk about. So um, that's, that's all I have to say. <laughs> so it's divisive, but at least it will uh, promote a lot of discussion and discourse around the film though. Uh, I hope so. Film Twitter. Don't let me down. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so Spencer, you said the last of your, of the films you want to say. So what, else, what any other like last minute highlights from you, Nick? Um, I would say don't see mope. That's one thing I will say. Uh, M O M O P E. Don't say, don't see that unless you want to see, um, just weird porn stuff that isn't really in service of anything. I just wanted to throw that out there cause it was probably my least favorite movie okay. of the festival. Um, one little thing I like, I, I, I enjoyed Hala a lot, which was, uh, yeah. um, it's a uh, Geraldine Viswanthanen's, uh, basically, yeah. Yeah, it's basically. I don't know if she's been in a, like the the headliner in a movie before, but this is kind of like her breaking out. Um, for those of you who don't know, that she was the she was the Indian girl in Blockers, who was just hilarious yep. and stole that movie. She was um, also in a, a favorite movie of a, a movie of mine, uh, Emo the Musical, which is a really fun film you should check yeah. out. It's like goth sing street, but Australian. It's great. And that brings up just before you get into it, I want to shout out to uh, Debbie Zhao, who's someone I met up in the Sydney Film Festival recently. She wrote recently wrote an article for the Guardian Australia about because uh, Geraldine Viswanathan is Australian, and um, oh, interesting. She yeah, she did this article about like there is a lot of these you know uh, Australians with like you know Sri Lankan Australians, Asian Australians. They're all doing really big things in Hollywood. Like there was like five different Asian Australians in Crazy Rich Asians including Ronnie Cheng, who was in it for like five minutes. But like the Australian media are not covering it all. And Debbie Zhao wrote this really great article about it. So I'd just say to people, go check that out. But uh, yeah, Hala, which starred Joe yeah. Dismanathan, who fe- yeah, featured really heavily good. in that article. Yeah, really good stuff. Uh, she, is, she is really good in this movie. I like her a lot. Um, 
just like to quickly sum it up, like the movie itself is kind of the thing you've seen before where it's like, um, like she's struggling with, um, her very conservative upbringing and wanting to be free. And she's really into poetry. So she writes, she has a lot of, there's a lot of voiceover of poetry, which I found really like tacky because people like 18 year olds don't talk like that. Um, but it's, I think it's, it's nothing you've, you've seen everything in this movie before, but it's done really well, if that makes sense. So you're going to really enjoy it. And it's really, it's, I think it's another solid crowd pleaser. I think for people that find, I don't know if this is, has the opportunity to be like a massive breakout hit, like Britney runs a marathon. Uh, but for people who find it, I think they're really going to like it because it's really accessible. It's really short. It's like less than 90 minutes. Um, and it's just really sweet. And it had, tells a nice story and everything. Everybody has their arcs and it, it, it functions as a movie and everyone's going to really like it, I think. So look out for that one. Uh, are there any films that either of you guys missed that you really <coughs> wanted to check out? Like none of you saw the Zac Efron, Ted Bundy movie, did you? I wanted to see that really bad. I struck out on like three screenings for that. I wanted to see that so badly. Yeah, I, I'm not really too crazy about watching that one. Um, I feel like, no, not really. There was a couple movies I wish I could unwatch that I watched, but that's it. So. <laughs> any massive stink, like just quickly, well, before we wrap up, any stinkers that people should avoid, like the plague that played at Sunlight? Oh, hell yeah. Um, The Sunlit <laughs> Night. The Sunlit Night is one of the worst movies i've ever had to sit through at a, sun, <laughs> at a film festival and it's like it's like um a movie that feels like it was created in a lab of people trying to make a movie for sundance like it uh, yeah. literally feels like a concoction where they poured a bunch of weird like ass green liquids in an 80s movie you know like all together and then they're like we now have the sunlit night and then they present it, it to by you. A, it was written by a bunch of monkeys on typewriters yeah like it just type in random words too it like, was it's the most kind of, that... of times <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah it probably has that as a line somewhere in the film but it's absolute trash i hated it it's the only movie at sundance this year that i would say i actively hated watching so yeah i have i have one more that i just didn't understand it's called the sound of silence um, I don't know if you saw this. Oh, I, I saw this. I did see this. <laughs> so so the entire time, so just for a little background, it's Peter Sarsgaard, and basically his character goes around New York City and, and, and tunes apartments to, like, a note. So, like, there's, like, there's, like, an, there's, so there's basically his ideas, and he has a whole thesis about it that's been rejected by science, and I... I agree with the science on this one against him, uh, but like he just he just goes into apartments and like he'll just like listen there like and he'll be like really thoughtful and then he'll say like oh your microwave is emitting a like a like a flat tone and it's throwing off all of your stuff so we need to get you a new microwave so you get to like a to get like a different like tone it's it's the entire time I was like why does this movie exist. So I just, is is I, this guy running a service or something, or is he just ru going into random people's houses? And it's like, yeah, yeah your sounds off. Yeah, he just he runs his own company, and there's like a rival company who's like trying to like make it more of like a mainstream thing. And he just goes in, and then people pay him to like tune their restaurants, uh, tune the restaurants, tune their apartments, and they like, apparently gets rid of their anxieties and pressures. Um, <laughs> it's so weird. Everyone never gets below never no one ever gets above like a two out of ten as part as far as energy um everyone just kind of like just like just just kind of there and things just kind of happen and i just didn't understand why this movie everyone's existed. collecting a paycheck are they <laughs> yeah that? uh oh, this movie ahead, could 
sorry this movie could not have had more than a one million dollar budget so i would not say they got a crazy paycheck off it and um nick kind of alluded to his like thesis which he forgot to mention he lays out in like painstaking (laughs) detail that is the most uninteresting dull dialogue for long long stretches of the movie and it hits a point where the character kind of starts to become progressively more distressed and unhinged almost and that sounds interesting on paper right you're like this guy who is so he's a bullshit artist essentially but he totally believes the pseudoscience that he's preaching and like the scientific community like discounts it and you can't tell if the movie's trying to portray him as a tortured genius or if he's like just some crazy like lunatic and uh-huh. so then the and I feel like at the end of the movie I had no better grip on the guy than I did at the beginning <laughs> of the film. Like he's a total enigma. The only thing that this movie has that's really a redeeming quality by my standards is I thought Rashida Jones was actually pretty good oh, in the I, movie. Yeah, she, she she's pretty good in it, yeah. Yeah, like if she had been the main character and Peter Sarsgaard had just been some wacky side characters, kind of like this weird ass dude, instead of putting us into trying to like, it's it's like, so so he talked about how he like, will be like the microwave has like a C flat or whatever. So we need to get you a new microwave and then you'll be able to sleep or whatever. Had we followed the microwave, it would have been a more interesting arc and character than Peter Sarsgaard. And have more personality as well. So, yeah, this movie was weird. It's just oh, a man. weird movie. I don't know why that thing exists. Uh, that's a very strange film to end on, I guess. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Uh, uh, cue, cue disturb sound of silence cover. <laughs> Please don't. That's- only reason i saw i saw this movie was because of the title the sound because of the sound of silence and then i was just very sad when i left it because i woke up at like 9 a.m to see this movie oh no oh. <laughs> it no, was 9 a.m film festival showings just no 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 earlier than 11 11 it was the worst i can do it was a bad decision i did the most and i got and i got and it just it just blew up on my face <laughs> yeah. so what was your final tally for both of you of how many films you ended up seeing we both saw 16, I think, right? Yeah, 16. That's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> 16. And of the, I mean, we talked about most of the good ones. We've mentioned a couple of, you know, absolute stinkers in there. What would you think of the, the percentage of the films that you saw? How many, how many were great and how many were just awful? Like, they were mo- it was mostly a good festival, though. Is, I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Yeah, um, for me... I can't speak for Nick, but for me, I would say there were a couple great. There were a lot of meh, and then there was like one or there was one absolute stinker that we went through, and then there was like a couple that were not good. Velvet Buzzsaw being one, which is my oh, biggest yeah. disappointment. Yeah, and you saw that yeah. after it came out on Netflix too, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, I sat in a theater to watch Velvet Buzzsaw. Like, you oh, paid, it might be good. <laughs> you paid money to see Velvet Buzzsaw. <laughs> it was covered with my pass, actually, in my defense. Oh, but yes, okay. I had to pay money for the pass. So, oof, yeah. Yeah, for me, it was. I think it was kind of the same. I'd say a lot of my movies were interesting. Um, I don't, I don't really think I like strongly hated any of them, except for maybe Mope, which was just like just so weird and gross, uh, and not in a good way. Uh, besides that, all of them I thought were like a lot of them I thought were pretty decent, like solid movies. I maybe watch again. There was a few that were pretty pretty good. Uh, I missed out on a couple ones that I really wanted to see. 
Um, I heard a lot of good things about The Last Black Man in San Francisco, which is an A24 movie that I don't know anything about, but apparently I think, didn't is HBO really, is buy really that really one good. too? Uh, I don't. I think that might be Native Son that you're thinking of. Ah, uh, yeah, that's the one. Yeah, it, yeah. Um, but like, I went to the the press screening for the last Black Man in San Francisco, and like, they told me like an hour beforehand. They're like, "Yeah, no, like you're like probably not going to get in." So I went over and saw mm. another movie. But besides that, but apparently it's really good. I know nothing else on it, but critics were going nuts for it. So I don't know. And just one last question: What was both the first and last film that you saw, and do you think that that was good ways to bookend your festival? Well, no. For me, the last <laughs> film I saw was Velvet Buzzsaw. Oh, okay. So, yeah, that that was a terrible way to end the festival. But the first uh, one that I saw was Maiden, which is a documentary that I really liked, actually. So, yeah. Oh, fantastic. What about you, Nick? Uh, the first movie I saw was... I actually have it written down because it's a really long-ass title. Um, the Inventor Out for Blood in Silicon Valley. Um, really interesting documentary about... Um, the Theranos scandal, um, it's a whole big thing, so I don't feel like explaining it here because it'll take me years to explain it. But it's really interesting. <laughs> it's an HBO doc. Uh, and the last movie I saw was Britney Runs a Marathon. So that was kind of a nice way to end it. That would have been a fantastic way to end it. Yeah, it was good stuff. All right, I think that just about does it, guys. Thank you very much for coming on the show. We, we, we've, we got through all the technical difficulties. Um, uh, Nick is recording this on his, uh, um, on his uh, iPhone, I guess, now. or. <laughs> <laughs> I do it for the because listeners Because he couldn't get guys. Chrome to work on his laptop So he's using his phone to <laughs> record this We're doing the most We're making it work though <laughs> Yeah, and uh, if people want to find mo- I mean, I plug Movie Babble every week on the show But if they want to see some of your stuff on Movie Babble Or find you everywhere else on the internet Nick, where shall they look? Oh yeah, I, so I do I do a website that does movie things um, as I write as for movie, Yeah, moviebabblereviews.com Um on Twitter at moviebabble underscore uh, moviebabble on Instagram. I'm all over the place. Just search moviebabble and you you hopefully find me unless someone else took my search engine results. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, just search it and you'll find me. <laughs> and also Nick has started, well, he started this a while ago, but he's starting to do it more frequently now, the Movie Babble podcast. Yes, sir. Uh, we're doing, I actually just recorded that before I got on here. Uh, we're doing box office results every week, kind of go into that and maybe talk about some other things as they pertain to box office and money for studios and whatnot. So yay, yay money, uh, yay movies, uh, good stuff. <laughs> awesome. Spencer, what about yourself? Where can people find you online or Twitter, all that stuff? Or, or Cinemaholic Productions, is that still going? Um, we're kind of just doing like short films with that, but I believe this is what's called a plug, correct? Correct. So I would, I would recommend that people unplug their toasters because it might be emitting an F major. And I say that as a, as I fly a bald eagle off into the American sunset. That's my plug. Fantastic. I'll put links to... Spencer's Twitter and stuff in the show notes, I guess. <laughs> no, 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 no. You can follow me on Twitter. I don't even know what my handle is, though. I think it's at SpinnyHand or something like that. So, yeah. Uh, also, find look for Cinemaholic Productions on YouTube and uh, short film. You've Faust, that short film that you and your partner, Ryan, made? Or yeah, you're making? There, How's well, that going? No, no, it, it's made. We're actually trying to put it into some film festivals right now, but eventually it might be out on the YouTube channel. Um, yeah, and I'm actually working on another short film right now. So, yeah. Fantastic. All right, guys, thanks very much.
G'day guys, I hope you enjoyed that very special episode of Another Bloody Movie Podcast talking about the Sundance Film Festival with my very special guests and uh, Sundance correspondents Nick Cush and Spencer Henderson all the way from the United States of America. I've been wanting to get those guys on the show for quite a while now and the fact that they were both at Sundance was the perfect excuse to get them both on the show at the same time and we powered through quite a few technical difficulties and the fact that I have never recorded a podcast over the internet before but I'm really happy with how that episode turned out and we all had a great time recording that podcast and I'm hoping that you did too and if you did you know what to do go ahead onto Apple Podcasts or SoundCloud or wherever you get your podcasts and hit that subscribe button and also go to our social media links you can find us on Facebook another bloody movie podcast on Twitter at AB movie podcast and on Instagram at another bloody movie pod and you can also find me on Instagram and Twitter, both at SeanHub underscore. That is S-E-A-N-H-U-B underscore. You can follow me on Letterboxd, letterboxd.com forward slash Sean Coates. You can also read my written reviews and also Nick's written reviews on the site that Nick created that I write for, moviebabblereviews.com. You can check out reviews from myself, from Nick, and a whole other bunch of really talented writers that are part of the Movie Babble staff. There's always really cool and really interesting articles that are put up there almost every day. So go to moviebabblereviews.com and check that out. And stay tuned on another Bunny Movie podcast uh, because later this week we will have the the inaugural Another Bloody Movie Podcast Awards. Myself and Eric will be doing our own awards show to show that, you know, awards shows suck and literally anybody can do them. So you know what? We're going to be doing our own. So stay tuned. Probably about a day before the Oscars that is going to drop. I'm going to be recording that tomorrow at the time of this recording. So hopefully you guys will enjoy that. And also, if, if we're still looking for films for Film Fiasco. So if you want, if you have a film that you want Eric and myself to give the film fiasco treatment to you can email us another buddy movie pod at gmail.com to send us in any recommendations or requests for film fiasco thank you very much for listening again to this episode i hope you enjoy it please subscribe please like everything and please stay tuned for the first ever another buddy movie podcast awards always we're going to be calling them the ad mappers dropping in a few days time just before the oscars thanks very much guys and we will see you later Bye bye